0: I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible Thanks for Asking. It is very rare that I actually get to interview guests in person. Usually it's online, obviously because there's COVID, but even before COVID, it would just be way too expensive, way too time-consuming for me to be flying all over the United States talking to people. This is public radio. So that's what makes the conversation that I had with today's guest such a treat, Because Jose is basically my neighbor. And so he got to come over on a beautiful, sunny day. I know they're all beautiful and sunny here in Phoenix this past summer. And yes, we had to turn off the air conditioner because it's too noisy. And yes, my dogs interrupted us about a thousand times. But we also got to crack some sparkling waters and talk like old friends. But when I first met Jose, he was not yet a friend and he was not yet a guest. He was just a guy at the
1: airport. I was flying to Austin for a random, like, leave-the-city trip because my girls were in a spending summer vacation with their aunt. And uh, I was in line getting ready to board, and I saw you uh, (laughs) fumbling around with your backpack trying to board. And in my head, I was, like, contemplating on if I should go up to you or not, and I just said, fuck it. I
0: did not understand what my ticket said. So another man had helped me, and he was like, you're A1. I was like, cool. And he was like, you're the first. I was like, what? He's like, get up there. Like, he was so concerned. He was like, get up there now. Get into the front. I was like, okay. Like, you came up. I was like, this guy's going to tell me I'm in the wrong <laughs> spot. Like,
1: well, what's funny is that uh, I had rescheduled my flight uh, the night before. And then I was like, you know what? Like, whatever. So I scheduled it back to my original 5 a.m. flight, which was stupid. So, stupid. Was so a dumb, dumb time to fly. So dumb.
0: I feel so sick that early in the morning. It's just yeah. so gross. Ugh. And then we, we sat next to each other and we got a Diet Coke and cried. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. It sounds about right. That's Pretty on. much
1: my life now. Same. You know? Same.
0: Jose and I have three things in common, possibly more, but this is what I know for sure. One, we're both tall. Two, we both like Coke, not Diet Coke, a full-on Coke. And three, we both lost a spouse. That's really what bonded us. Jose's wife, Jessie, the mother of their two daughters, Mazzy and Luna, died in 2020. That's what he tells me while we stand in line waiting to board our flight. What prompts Jesse to go to the doctor?
1: We started noticing that... Jesse's period would be off. It'd be weird. Like we would get intimate and then all of a sudden her period would start. At least that's what we thought it was. Um, and then one morning she wakes up and runs to the bathroom and she is calling for me while I'm in bed. And she's like, babe, something's wrong. And she says that she's bleeding into the toilet like as if she were urinating. That's how much is coming out. So I gather up the girls. I take her to the emergency room. And what's weird is that a couple days before, we had scheduled her yearly checkup. Because we knew something was weird because of like the random periods and the bleeding and stuff. So she had an appointment on Monday, and this was Sunday. Took her to the emergency room. They stopped the bleeding, and they said, since your appointment is tomorrow, just go ahead and go to your appointment and see what they say.
0: Jessie insists on going to that Monday appointment alone, and her doctor runs some tests, takes a biopsy, and by Wednesday, the results are in.
1: So we went to her appointment. We're sitting in the room, and uh, they said the biopsy came back, and she has cervical cancer. It's a tumor. When you say that, like, you're living this quote-unquote perfect life of, you know, family of four, um, you know, we didn't have the white picket fence, but we lived the suburb life, you know. She had a great job. I was starting to move up in my career. And then... You hear those words, and your whole world comes crashing down.
0: What's going on is that Jessie's cervical cancer is stage 1B on a scale of 1 to 4, which doesn't sound too bad, right? The doctors tell Jesse she has options, which is also good. They may be able to scrape the cancer out. That is such a terrible visual. Just the word, scrape out. Oh. Or she may have to do chemo and radiation.
1: At that point, I don't think I was really feeling afraid. It was more of confusion. Um, Because up until that point, everything was going the right way for us. We would randomly get a promotion at work. Uh, We would randomly get a pay raise. We sold our first house on the second day. It was on the market. Like Everything is working out for us. And this is the first hiccup, and it's not supposed to be there. Like, it's not supposed to happen, especially to us. This just happens to random folks, not us.
0: Jose can be strong because Jesse is strong even when the doctors tell her that surgery is no longer an option.
1: You know that image in Spider-Man, the first one with Tobey Maguire, where he stops the subway? That was Jesse, blocking all of us in that subway. And we took it for granted because she was so strong at that point. And they told us it's going to be uh, three sessions of chemo and like 40-something sessions of radiation and then five Sessions of internal radiation. So we start chemo. She doesn't lose her hair. It's a very low dose. Radiation. Is probably the worst part. Because you know. It's going around her region down there. And and it's messing up her stomach. And all that good stuff. And never complained. Just took it in stride. The only time she complained. Is when she was feeling nauseous after chemo. And. Even for internal radiation, you know, sticking 17-tubes devices in her vagina. And it's like, I'm with her every day, holding her hand. And that was the first time I saw her cry, because it was painful.
0: Just six months after being diagnosed, Jessie is told that she's cancer-free. Her scans are clear. There are no more tumors in sight.
1: It wasn't the same after. There was this cloud that hung above our family. That is honestly a regret that I have, is because we never really talked about it afterwards. We did occasionally, but there was never that deep conversation of, okay, what's what's next? Because I thought everything was going to go back to normal. Everything is going to be just like how we planned. Yes, this was a minor bump in the road, but now we're back on track and let's go have some fun. And that's what we did. We decided, you know what? We're going to take those vacations.
0: The four of them, Jose, Jesse, Mazzy, Luna, go to San Diego and Legoland. They buy their forever home. And the cloud that Jose mentioned, it remains too because what happened with Jessie as brave as she was trying to Toby Maguire stop that train from hitting her family it still affected all of them
1: after Jessie was done with her treatments i got sick like i came down with like a crazy like cold flu something and at the time my primary care doctor knew what i was going through And when I was sick and I went to go see him, he's like, this is probably not medically like something, but I think it's your body just saying like, okay, give yourself a rest. And so I remember one morning where I was out, like I just was not feeling good. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, if Jesse can go through freaking cancer treatment, I can go through a flu, like the whole man flu thing. I didn't want to be that guy, but I was pretty close being that guy. And then Mazzy comes in my room and I'm like on the bed and Jesse's like in the living room hanging out with Luna. And Mazzy comes in and was like, Daddy, are you feeling better? Are you sick like mommy? And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I need to get up. I can't do this. And that would made me realize like she knew something was different about being sick with mommy.
0: Being sick with mommy was different. In December 2019, Jose has a business trip to London for two weeks. He tries to get Jesse to go with him, but she can't get away from work.
1: While I'm over there, obviously I talk to her every day, uh, multiple times a day, to the point where <sighs> this is the first time we've been away from each other that long. And... Add that on top of me being away from my kids, I'm a mess. Like, I called her crying one night because I missed her so much. And she's like, You know, I miss you too. We miss you. But you know what? This is a once in a lifetime experience. Yeah, get a life. Go yeah. outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why are you crying yeah. to me, you little wuss?
0: One night, Jose FaceTimes Jesse and the girls, and Jesse mentions she has a knot in her back which doesn't sound like the biggest deal. I'm pretty sure a lot of us have knots in our back. And Jesse does have two young girls that she has to lug around everywhere.
1: And she's like, it just, it feels so weird. I think I just slept wrong. And we're like, okay. And then a couple of days later, she's like, I just still it's not going away. And I think she ends up going to a chiropractor and she's like, it doesn't feel right. So I'm like, okay, she's sending me pictures of it, you know, video chat showing me. And I'm like, wow, that's a big knot. I'm not nervous because I'm, I'm an idiot and I think it's a knot. She's nervous because she knows it's not a knot. And I get home. They pick me up at the airport and they're facing one way and I actually come out the other door and (laughs) instead of Jesse being like, Oh my God, you're home. She goes, shit. I was trying to make it all cute. (laughs) The girls run to you and then you come up behind me. I'm like, all right, well, I'm happy to see you too. (laughs) Uh, But you know, we go have dinner. And one thing I noticed about Jesse when we were eating and it instantly Put me back into her first cancer fight. She couldn't sit still. She was constantly bouncing her leg. And that's when I knew something was up. And then she had a cough that was just lingering and just would never go away.
0: Jessie goes in for a scan on December 23rd. She's told they won't get the results until after the holidays. On January 2nd, Jesse's doctors confirm what a couple already know. The cancer is back, and it's really bad. Jesse has 13 tumors. The cancer has spread to her lungs, her liver, and her kidneys. And her doctor asks her,
1: Do you want to know how much time you have left? And when you hear those words, it's like, Selfishly myself, my whole life flashed before my eyes. And I'm crying. Uncontrollably crying. Sobbing. And Jesse's fine. You know? I look at her and I'm like, do you want to know? And she's like, No, I don't I don't want to know how much time. And so She gives us a game plan. This is what we're going to do. We're going to start chemo. And then after that, we leave her office. And I just, I just break down in the hallway of this medical building next to the elevators, just crying my eyes out because I know eventually that this fairy tale that I've been on with my wife is going to be over. But Jessie's fine. She's like, we'll be okay. We'll get through this. My sisters will help us. I want you to just, let's just face it.
0: A week later, Jessie starts treatment again. And her doctor also recommends a clinical trial for immunotherapy. Some of their patients are seeing amazing results and they're hoping Jesse will too.
1: I kept telling myself, I can't go through this again. I can't do it. But internally, I was like, that's selfish of me. You know, it's not my battle. So if Jesse's ready to do this, then all right, let's do it. And so we started chemo. She ended up losing her hair around her birthday. We actually shaved her head, I want to say, like, the day before. And that that was the hard one because we told the girls that mommy was sick again, but we didn't tell them what the ultimate outcome was going to be. And the night Jesse shaved her head, I asked her, like, do you want the girls to see? And she's like, yeah. So myself, Mazzy, and Luna are just sitting on the floor watching... Jesse get her haircut and kids have a hard time explaining how they're feeling. All I remember, I mean, Mazzy was crying because mommy was losing her hair. Mommy didn't look like a princess. Like her, her hair's not long anymore. Luna just, was like daddy my stomach hurts my stomach hurts my stomach hurts and Lina's always had such a sensitive stomach and she's like daddy my stomach hurts i need to go to the bathroom and so i try to take her to the bathroom but she can't go and jesse once again is like there to save the day she's like babe she's just really nervous she doesn't know how to handle this
0: Nobody knows how to handle this. It's now March 2020, and COVID-19 is fast becoming the pandemic we now know it will become. Being part of this immunotherapy trial means Jesse has to stay in the hospital for a month. Do you remember how scary everything felt in those first few weeks, when there was still so much we didn't know? People were more or less being told, do not go to a hospital unless you're dying, because hospitals are danger zones. Jesse and Jose feel that, that same fear coupled with the fear that they have to enter that danger zone in order to try to save Jesse. Typically for this trial, a partner or a family member would go with, or at least visit regularly. But now hospital protocols have evolved and Jesse has to go alone. She enters the trial just after their ninth wedding anniversary.
1: She's in this place alone. And when your wife calls you from a hospital room, when she's all alone, she's high on whatever the hell that they gave her, and you can't have a conversation with her because she's falling in and out of sleep. And she's having these video chats with her daughters that she can't even recognize because she's so high. And my girls are scared because this is the first time that they've been away from their mommy for this long. And it's not because of a vacation. It's because mommy is sick. And the questions are, what's mommy doing now? Can we call mommy? Like, no, we can't. Like, we have to wait for her to call us. And you have no idea what is going on with your wife because you're not there. You don't know if things are going right. You don't know if things are going wrong. I was supposed to receive a call from her at this time. Why haven't I received it? Like, what's happening? And then, you know, her doctor started texting me to start giving me updates. Yeah, it made me feel a little bit more at ease, but it's still not the same.
0: This period of time is hard for everyone. It's hard for Jose, who is used to being by his wife's side. It's hard for Jesse's two older sisters, Janae and Michelle, who take turns isolating themselves in their homes in LA and Albuquerque so they can safely come into town to help Jose with the girls but it's especially hard on Jessie. At one point, she retains so much water from the chemo and immunotherapy treatments that she gains more than 40 pounds in just a few days, and doesn't hearing that just make your body hurt? And she's doing all of it alone. During these 30 days, Jessie's doctors communicate with Jose through text messages, and they eventually arrange to sneak him into the hospital where she's in a separate ICU, far from the COVID patients.
1: So we get to her room and they're like, oh, don't don't go in yet. Let me go talk to her. And so they leave the door cracked and the nurses are checking on her. And all I hear is like, he's here? He's here? How do I look? Like, that girlish, high-pitched voice of excitement just Crushed me, but like crushed me in a good way. Jessie is drugged up, but she sees me and is just like, hi, babe. Hi, you came. And she tried so hard to stay awake and she wasn't making any sense because she had a lot going on. But, you know, I was just trying to make sure that she was comfortable And she's like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. And then she just falls asleep. And I just hold her hand in silence to what ends up being five hours. not saying anything, but just holding her hand. And the nurses come in around six o'clock and go, it's time to leave. And I, I didn't want to. I couldn't. But they're like, it's time to go. We can get in a lot of trouble like okay but I leave and I just cry the whole way home and I know she's gonna be okay but you never know something can go wrong and I'm at that point where everything is gonna go wrong for us but the next day you know Dr. Risi calls me and was like we've never seen Jessie perk up this much she's walking now and I just go back because what if this stupid pandemic wasn't going on and I was there for her? Like how much would it have changed? We get the thumbs up to go visit her a couple days before she leaves the hospital and we take our girls, but the girls can't touch her. The girls can't see her. We're communicating through tinted windows and a cell phone with signs, and Mazzy is trying so hard to touch her. Luna is trying so hard, but they can't. All they can do is see her through the window.
0: When Jessie is finally released from the hospital, the scans show that her tumors have shrunk by one to two centimeters. This is great news, but it doesn't last long. Because within weeks, Jessie is extremely weak, and when she goes in for more scans, the tumors have already grown back. Her doctors offer one more round of what Jose calls sympathy chemo because it's clear by now that nothing will fix this. Nothing will stop Jessie's cancer from spreading, let alone put her back in remission. But Jessie agrees.
1: She says yes. Here we go for our first treatment. And she holds my hand the whole drive over. And she just looks at me and goes, babe, I'm tired. And she's like, I'm just really, really tired. I'm tired of being poked. I'm tired of random fluids. I'm tired of random medicine. And selfishly, I was like, don't don't say that. Don't tell me that right now. So we get to the doctor's office. I can't go in there with her. They come with a wheelchair to pick her up because she's too weak to even walk two steps they take her up they draw her blood from the port they do tests before they do chemo and then i get a phone call from her doctor and her doctor's like hey jesse's in here with me just want to let you know that she's her body's too weak to handle chemo and i was so confused because i was like okay great what's next and jesse goes babe I can't.
0: Normally, a couple would receive this crushing news together. They'd be able to hold hands and hold each other. But instead, Jesse and Jose are alone. Her in the hospital, him in his car. She can't. Because of course she can't. On that last drive home from the hospital, Jesse tells Jose, I've accepted this. I can leave you with the girls because you've got this. But Jose, he doesn't have it.
1: I can't. I couldn't. What am I going to do without my wife? What am I going to do without saying, hey, babe, I... I really don't feel like cooking. Okay, I'll do it. Or let's go out to eat. (laughs) What am I going to do when my daughter comes up to me and says, can you braid my hair? I can't. Because Jesse would. What am I going to do about periods? What am I going to do about crushes, first loves. I'm not the typical, you know, machismo, oh, you're not going to date. Like, no. My family did that to me. And now I'm talking about it in therapy. I don't want to do that to my kids. And Jesse, I told her this. And she goes, you have my sister's. She's like, do not be afraid to call them for anything.
0: On Jesse's first night in hospice care, Jose sleeps on the floor next to his wife. She wakes up to receive some medicine, and she tells Jose that she loves him. He's there by Jesse's side when she starts coughing up blood. He calls the nurse.
1: And I'm begging her not to leave me. Right around 5.15, 5.20, I tell Michelle and Janae to go get our girls. And we wake up our girls, and they sit on my lap, both of them, and we just hold mommy's hand. And you know, a week before, we told them, like, mommy's medicine didn't work, so she's going to die. I thought we had a few more months. It's me, Luna, and Mazzy are just holding mommy's hand all at once. And we just watch her die. And at 5.23 a.m. is when Jesse passed away. We're sitting beside her while she's laying there. And I'm trying to ask them again, like, do you guys understand what's happening? And they both go, yeah. Mommy's gone. And it was so hard for them. And it was so hard for me to watch them in pain. But what killed me was Luna just looking at me and holding her hand, mommy's hand and saying, we're supposed to be four, dad. Not three, We're supposed to be four. And it's just like. I I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to her. All I can do is just hold her. And that's all she kept saying. And Mazzy is just like her mom. Because yes Mazzy was crying. But you could tell that she was like okay all right let's get through this i mean still to this day mazzy is like that my little eight-year-old puts her hand on my cheek and tells me everything is going to be all right and says daddy i'm worried about you being lonely like what do i need to pay you instead of my therapist like what is happening you can't afford Massey actually.
0: <laughs> her rate would be. Oh like, my God. Uh, yeah.
1: There is nothing I could give or just whatever to bring her back. I've asked myself, would I go through this all over again? Honestly, yeah, just so I can be with her again. Do I wish for a different outcome? Of course. But in some weird way, the pandemic helped because we spent so much time with her. Jesse did not cry to me during that whole time until the end. You know, we had our talks before she passed away. She told me that she wished she could have been a better wife. And I'm like, no, you were perfect.
0: We're going to take a quick break. That's the story of Jessie's death, and her death is a part of their love story, but any story is so much more than how it ends. When I lost my husband Aaron in 2014, it felt like the only real thing was how he died. Everything else about him, about us, felt like it had just disappeared from my memory. I wanted so badly to remember that we were not just a sad story. So when I meet a person who shares a loss with me, who tells me that their mom or their sibling or their child or their spouse or their best friend is dead, I don't ask, how did they die? I say, tell me about them. I say their name and I ask about them, about how they lived, about how you met, about what you want to remember, about what was real and what will stay with you forever. So on the airplane, I asked Jose to tell me about Jesse And once we landed and were texting, I knew I wanted him to tell you about her too. When Jesse meditated, she saw things. She saw a thing. A brown and white owl, wings extended, swooping, circling.
1: Actually, Jesse and her whole family have just been very spiritual um, into crystal healing and just being in tune with what they they know um spirits um surrounding earth all that good stuff and uh jesse was very great at meditating and just grounding herself and when she would meditate she would get to her safe space and be with An owl, people make fun of it, but that's actually what she did. And she would just be safe there and ground herself. She explained to us how she would get to her safe space and her owl, you know, she described it to us like brown and white, would just swoop out around her and just hang out with her.
0: For years, that owl came to Jessie as she sat on the floor with her legs crossed, slipping out of her thoughts and out of her surroundings. She meditated when she was young and living in a crowded apartment, when she moved in with her future husband, when she became a mother to two girls, and always, the owl appeared.
1: And it was something that I would just, you know, leave her alone, let her be. And she would always get on me like, let me show you how to do this. Let me show you I'm like, ah, no, no, it's fine. I'm good. I'm good.
0: Jesse and Jose met when they were both young, just 21 years old, living in Phoenix. And before they knew each other, they were living parallel lives. Each of them had moved to the city for a new start.
1: Fascinating story, actually. Moved to Arizona on a whim, honestly. Packed my car and moved, called my brother, and I told him, like, I want to live there. And I stayed in his dining room. And I worked for a company that Jesse's sister, Janae, was working at. And she was my boss.
0: Jesse, his boss's younger sister, is Jose's future wife. But he doesn't know that yet. Really, there's a lot he doesn't know. He's young. He's trying to establish his independence. He does not have a five-year plan. He doesn't even know when he'll move out of his brother's dining room. And he definitely doesn't know that just a few buildings away is the love of his life. Also living with an older sibling. Also trying to figure out life.
1: One day, my brother, who I was living with, and my sister-in-law, his wife, said, hey, can you help move Jesse into her apartment? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. I don't know who Jesse is, but whatever.
0: This is something that you only do in your 20s, by the way. Greg, someone needs help moving? Yeah, Yeah, I got him. Yeah, got it. (laughs) In your 30s, you're like, I would rather fall down a flight of stairs (laughs) than than help you move. But in your 20s, you're like, yeah, yeah. And I got two free hours. Uh,
1: So, yeah, we uh, walked two, three buildings over, and uh, I helped move a couch in her one-bedroom apartment and I saw her and it sounds totally cheesy but honestly it really is like what I felt I saw her and it was like oh like this little glowing light around her and like wow she is she's pretty hot and um that was that and then the next day I go to work and I was like hey Janae I met your sister she's like oh cool well how and I was like oh I helped her moved in and she's like oh great yeah yeah that's cool And I told Janae, I was like, by the way, she's really, really hot. Thinking like, oh, yeah, let me hook you up. No, no. Janae goes, I know. (laughs) And that's it. And just moves on about (laughs) about her day. And I'm like, all right. Well, I'm just going to go over here and work.
0: Jose has seen his dream girl literally glowing at the top of a staircase. He knows two people who would love to set them up. It's a no-brainer. But it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen because of Jose, honestly. He moved out of his brother's house and he has his own apartment, but it is a big stretch to make rent every month. His furniture is um, as follows. One folding chair, one mattress, one PlayStation console. If you were not this man in your 20s, you either knew him or dated him. He's just broke. So when his boss, Janae, says, hey, come hang out with me and my sister, he always finds a way to avoid it. He's busy. He has plans. But really, he just doesn't have any money. This means almost an entire year passes before he finally accepts an invite to a local hip hop club. Are yes. you nervous because you know she's going to be there? How are you feeling? Um, what do you wear? How do you prepare?
1: Um, Actually, I wasn't nervous because it was more on that friend level. Mm-hmm. And... The other thing is Jesse was dating someone else and uh, you know, I'm not that kind of guy. I would never interfere or whatever. So it was totally like we're friends and I just took it as is just hung out with them. They were, they're so great to hang out with. Like Janae is always the life of the party and Jesse just tags along and is just like, you know, this is, this is cool. This is chill. And for that first time, Jesse's boyfriend at the time wasn't into the same music that we were, and so he didn't go.
0: Jesse and Jose enjoy each other's company. They click. The conversation is easy. And Jose's new apartment is right across the parking lot from Jesse's new apartment.
1: My balcony can see her balcony, and vice versa. This so is beautiful rom com. Oh, for sure. It really
0: Like, is. oh so my So when you're out in the balcony, do you go out on the balcony just to be like, what if she saw me? I better go out here and stand
1: All the time. looking. Th- <laughs> at the time, at the, at the time I was a smoker, right? I'd go outside and smoke my cigarette. Yeah. And, as many as
0: possible. Yeah, exactly. Right. I'm over here her. like yep.
1: chain smoker, like just to get a glimpse. And I would see her every now and then. At first it was awkwardly like, hey, how you doing?
0: Hey. Yeah. Hey. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> It's here, smoking a cigarette and waiting to catch a glimpse of Jesse, that Jose sees something else. We'll be right back.
1: I'm outside smoking a cigarette, talking to my best friend on the phone who lives in El Paso. And I'm just talking to him, telling him about what I've been up to. And I look over to Jesse's apartment and I see the boyfriend carrying bags out of the apartment. He goes back upstairs and starts getting more stuff. And I'm watching the breakup happen. And you're like, Yeah, secretly. In hindsight, I'm like, yes at the time I'm like oh man that sucks man I hope she's okay should I reach out to her yada 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 right
0: man I could go over now or yeah. like maybe yeah, right? 30 minutes <laughs> I don't know
1: <laughs> like, what's the yeah. timeline how, how much longer um, but oddly enough a couple days after that she texted me and was like hey I need to go buy a new TV can you help me like what okay <laughs> <laughs>
0: Can you help me financially, actually? Would you mind mind buying it for me?
1: She was like, well, you're all into this tech stuff, so you can help me buy a TV. And I was like, yeah, totally. And that was the first time we had hung out alone. And I remember exactly what she was wearing. A brown like spaghetti strap tank top thing. A jean skirt. Never seen her wear a skirt up until this point. She had an anklet on, um, and then she had like a brown plaid-type flip-flops. And Jessie had this walk that every time I saw her walk, I was like, you know, the knuckle bite, that's, yep, that's what I would do.
0: A classic 2009 outfit, very period-appropriate, belongs in a time capsule, absolutely perfect. So Jose helps Jesse bring her new TV upstairs, and she asks if he'd like to grab some lunch, but again, he has zero dollars to his name, so even though, yeah, he does want to eat lunch with this girl every day, forever, he says no, and he goes back to his apartment and his sad little folding chair. But luckily, they're in the same friend circle, so they see each other the very next day, and again shortly after that.
1: It starts this trend of like, yeah, we're hanging out with all of our friends, but they're not there, if that makes sense. It's just Jesse and I. And the casual friend conversation starts turning into flirting. And we start texting more. Um, we start hanging out more.
0: And flirting via text at this point is much
1: more difficult. It's T9. Yes. T9. You have to press a button oh three times God. to get
0: to the <laughs> <button. Okay. laughs> Predictive text is not good. You're like, why, why would I say that? Theirs is that kind of relationship that has a quick spark, but a very slow burn. There's an obvious crackling energy between them. They hang out a lot, but always kind of as friends, but also everyone knows they're into each other. And Jesse's nephew, Isaiah, lives in her sister's building nearby. So Jose gets to know him too, and the three of them hang out together like a little family.
1: Uh, so we're watching TV, and then all of a sudden, um, Jesse gets a phone call, and she answers it On speaker and it's Jesse's mom and she's like hey honey how you doing she's like oh nothing just hanging out with uh, Jose and Isaiah and her mom says something along the lines of like "Ah, Jose have you told him that you liked him and Jesse jumps up and runs out of the room and you know I have to kind of pretend like I didn't hear it but I kind of you know was so happy that I heard it and then The movie Speed Racer, the live-action one, came out. I was a huge Speed Racer guy growing up. And so I was super excited about the live-action. And then myself, Isaiah, and Jesse went to the movies. And I try to sit down next to Jesse. And Isaiah goes, nope, I want to sit next to my auntie Jesse. So he's in the middle of us. And Jesse's laughing because she knew like I tried to sit next to her, but now I'm stuck to this snotty nosed kid while they're enjoying popcorn that I can't because this kid's all coughing on me. So then we, you know, go home and I stopped the car. I walk her and Isaiah to the door, even though we're building away from each other. And we had this awkward like stare and it was like, all right thanks for the fun night. And I gave her a hug and I walked away like all sad and weird and, you know, and so I get my house, I sit there and then I T9 text her and say, I really wanted to kiss you. And she's like, I, I wanted you to. And then I still didn't walk out there to go do it. I mean, that would have been the perfect rom-com moment, right?
0: Truly. She was probably on the balcony. Like Ah-hem. Yeah. She's like looking out the window. Like, yeah.
1: What the fuck you yeah. Look? So then we schedule it. <laughs> <laughs> Sexual. I like this. this is,
0: that's very this is hot. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you send like an Outlook invite? No, uh... <laughs> you... Jesse and Jose are coupled up officially. And within just a few months jose is moving out of his sad empty apartment and into jesse's place across the parking lot where he can save money and get on his feet financially and when they've been together for two years he asks her sister's permission for her hand in marriage and he proposes and it's all just so beautiful
1: oddly enough we actually found out we were pregnant exactly on our one-year anniversary we went to Disneyland for our one year anniversary and she was not drinking. She just was getting sick. So she, we kind of suspected, but then we took the test on the 23rd of April and found out she was pregnant. And we were both excited. And Jessie was just one day like scrolling through baby names. She presented some to me and then she was like, What about Mazzy? And I was like, Ooh. I like that. And she's like, do you know Mazzy Starr? And I was like, no, I don't. And then she played me the song and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I do, I do. And basically we named her after Mazzy Starr after that song, Fade Into You, and it just stuck. And the great thing about that is we were scheduled to be induced and we live like 10 minutes away from the hospital and Fade Into You came on, on the drive to the hospital. We look at each other and we're all, yep.
0: She picked her name. Yep, this is it. 22 months later, Mazzy gets a little sister,
1: Luna. I will never say she's an accident baby because she's not, but we just were not expecting.
0: (laughs) She was surprising. Yeah, very surprising.
1: (laughs) And she was actually born on Halloween, which was surprising as well. The foursome life was great because whenever Jessie was overwhelmed with work or anything like that, she would take one of them out to go do errands and stuff. And in hindsight, it wasn't because she needed to do errands. It was because she wanted to spend time with them. Um, And at that point, she spent a lot of time with Mazzy. And she wanted me to create that bond with luna just in case you know she's stuck at work and all that good stuff and we would go do fun activities like butterfly wonderland and random aquariums and we would go visit Janae and go visit uh, jesse's family in new mexico like it was just fun i mean road trips were hard but you know what I don't remember the hard parts. I remember the funny parts of those road trips, so.
0: Part of this is the shock, maybe. And part of it is that the magic of love, of death, is that it can diffuse the light of our memories, contextualize them. Because really, a screaming kid in the back of the car, stressing out over what to eat for dinner or whose mom said what, or fuming over an email from a coworker those little things feel so insignificant in the light of what was a family, a partnership, the impossibility and inevitability that two people would move to the same place, would cross paths over and over, would find their way to one another, would turn on the radio to hear the song they named their daughter after. They were supposed to be four. It's been 10 months since Jesse's death when Jose and I meet in line for a flight, when we sit together during that flight and just cry together. By the time this episode airs, it will have been more than a year. And a year is no time at all, and all the time in the world. And in that time, Jose and Mazzy and Luna have had to learn how to become three. Can you braid hair now?
1: Not the best. <laughs> Not the best. It's gotten to the point where Mazzy's like, Dad, eh, just stop. But you know what? I'm trying. The world sucks with single dads, I'll tell you that much. Family restrooms need to be more of a thing.
0: When a person we love dies, some of us, if we're lucky enough, still see and feel them in our lives long after they're gone. We see them in our children, in the way our kids walk, or in the scrunched-up face they make when they get mad. We feel them in the fall wind as the leaves crunch beneath our feet and for Jose and his girls.
1: Owls pop up now. There are times when we're having just a rough day, you know, as grievers have. An owl will just show up in our backyard. And it's so welcoming when the girls walk out there quietly to not disturb it. And you just hear them ever so slightly hi mommy you know a couple months after Jesse passed away our dog passed away that we've had for 12 years and so the girls were very hurt about that and there's two owls you know they're like that one's mommy that one's wicked and I was having a hard time one night and a nice cool breeze comes by and then there's the owl Easter we're all just hanging out. We have our close friends over who absolutely love Jesse, and Jesse loved them. There's the owl. The first time I saw the owl show up randomly when I needed her, I laughed. Because in my mind, I could hear Jesse saying, I told you so.
0: This is terrible. Thanks for asking. I'm Nora McNerney. Our production team is Marcel Malikibu, Jordan Turgeon, Jacob Maldonado Medina, and Megan Palmer. Jose, you are such an angel, such a wonderful man. Thank you so much for sharing, Jesse. And uh, you're in love with us. I am so, so glad that I flew on that plane and that you tapped me on the shoulder and I didn't snap at you. (laughs) Because I was ready to. I really was. I was ready to be like, oh my God, what? What? What now? Okay. Um. (laughs) Terrible Thanks for Asking is a production of APM Studios at American Public Media. Executive producer and editor Beth Perlman, executives in charge Lily Kim, Alex Schaefert, Joanne Griffith.